Hello, and welcome back to the Iowa Type Theory Commute. I'm Aaron Stump, and we are at, probably at the end of Chapter 7 on Meta Theory. And I wanted to do what I think was probably the last episode in that chapter, just wrapping up our discussion of confluence. And I wanted to talk a little bit about this Tate Martin Luff method for proving confluence of untyped lambda calculus. And it applies, at least, you know, the, the central ideas can are applicable with perhaps some adaptation to other languages or other reduction systems too. So, uh, and it's a, it's a beautiful proof idea. And if you recall from last time, the problem with proving confluence for untyped lambda calculus really arises due to the possibility of duplicating redexes. So, in confluence, we're thinking about what happens if I reduce uh, a term in one direction or I reduce it in a different direction. And taking one reduction path, uh, you know, so, so I've got this term and say it, we did this last time. So say it has two redexes in it, okay? Um, but so the first redex, it's lambda x, whatever, applied to some argument. And let's say that that second redex that we're going to reduce on our other path is actually buried somewhere in that argument. I mean, it could be the whole argument itself, or it could be some sub-expression of the argument. Okay, so we have this kind of overlap. Like, one of the redexes occurs inside the other, and it occurs in this kind of dangerous position because when we reduce that first redex, we're going to take that argument term, so we have lambda x, blah, applied to our argument, and, you know, when you reduce a redex in lambda calculus, you substitute the argument for that bound variable x. And so everywhere inside the blah that I was saying that x occurs, you're supposed to stick the argument. Now suppose x occurs like, you know, three times or something. Well now I'm going to copy that argument three times and put it there, you know, at position, you know, one, two, and three. The argument's going to show up there. And that means that that redex, the second redex that was buried somewhere in that argument, is now gotten copied. And so uh, this is now a problem because, you know, in the, when we were talking about confluence for untyped lambda calculus an episode or two ago, you know, in the, in the simplest case for seeing confluence, you've got these independent redexes. Like, they don't have this kind of overlap that we were talking about right now. And, and then you can just permute them. I can do redex 1 and then redex 2. Or I could do redex 2 and then redex 1. They're completely independent. So which one I do first doesn't make a, a lick of difference. You get the same term either way. Here, though, the situation is quite different. If I do redex 1 first, then I'm going to put three copies of redex 2, and it would take me three reduction steps to reduce all those three copies. Whereas if I did redex 2 first uh, and then did redex 1, you know, that. so we get different... To match that reduction, you know, where I do the, the redex 2 that's inside the argument, if I did that first, then it's kind of all simplified, at least the one step that we're doing right now. And then I copy that simplified term in three places. Whereas if I do redex 1, I'm copying the unsimplified redex 2 in these three places, and I would need three steps of reduction to simplify all those three places. Okay, so... Um, so that means that I can't just directly permute my reductions. I can't say like, okay, redux 1 followed by redux 2 is the same as redux 2 followed by redux 1. Because here it was like redux 1 followed by, it was, I guess in our case I was saying if redux 2 is the one that's embedded in the argument. It's like doing redux 2 and then redux 1 
is the same as doing Redux 1 and then three copies of Redux 2. So like three reduction steps. So I've got a reduction sequence of length 2 on one side, and I've got one of length 4 on the other side. Now you might say, okay, so I see that that's different, but what's the big problem? Well, the problem is that, you know, if you're trying to prove confluence, you're, pro you're trying to say, no matter how far I go out in these two directions, I can join things back together. And so here we're looking at sort of like, what happens if I take one step out? Now, if taking one step out, I could join them back in in one step again, oh man, that'd be fantastic. Because then I could sort of iterate that process. Imagine, this is actually a really great one for a sort of visual argument or a visual proof or proof idea. So like, imagine you've got this point on the top. Like imagine we're like, just look in front of you or something. Like imagine sort of up in the air a little bit, there's the first, the, term that has these two redexes. And, you know, go down in two different directions, like with your fingers, you could trace down, you know, two different directions. And that's kind of the top. That's a, they call it, in rewriting, they'll call this a mountain uh, or a peak. Uh, actually, I guess they call it peaks. So it's like a mountain peak. And uh, now we are, to, to do, um, to join the sides of that peak where I've got my fingers pointing out in, to the in space in front of me, to join the sides of those up, uh, at some to make some valley at the bottom where these things are joined together, uh, I and you, you could think about sort of trying to melt the peak down to the valley. Okay, that's one way to think about it. So like, and, I, and with this, if I can just permute r one, if r one just equals r r one r two equals r two r one, then I can start to melt my mountain again. Like, think of the top of my peak. That was where I took one step out in each direction. Okay, and. And if I had this permutation of redexes, the way I was, we were saying, this sort of simplified uh, non-overlapping situation, then cool, I could kind of melt that peak a little bit, and now I've got two other peaks, but they're shorter. And so you can quickly build an inductive argument, or you could just imagine kind of, imagine my peak is tiled with these little squares for going, um, uh, going out one step. Well... I can just melt all those little squares down. Or another way is I could say, I can think about tiling that whole space with this little picture that I get when I say R1, R2 is equal to R2, R1. Um, I could kind of apply that, that equivalence all throughout that mountain. And I could map, mush it all the way down to a valley. Um, but if I, that really critically depends on the fact that when, every time I melt one of these little steps, it's really a square. I go I'm going two different directions, just one step left and right, and then just one step left and right, I can bring them back together. If I have to bring them back together in multiple steps, then I'm going to jeopardize my uh, the applicability of my induction hypothesis because you're doing something like induction on the height of one of these uh, peaks. That would be one way to, to sort of do this. How tall is that peak? Um, and as you... Uh, if when you melt the top square of that peak down, you actually add, it's not just like, oh, I got two, two edges on the top and I put two edges, on, I got two edges on my little piece of my peak and I have two edges in my sort of start of my valley. If I have more than two, you know, one edge on each side of that valley, now, you know, my height of my peak has not gotten smaller, it might have gotten bigger. So applying induction uh, hypothesis will not be legal there. So anyway, so this property um, that when you go out one step, you can go back and join up in one step. That's called the diamond property. 
and the Tate Martin, and so basically, if you have the diamond property, confluence is super easy to show by this sort of like peak melting argument. Um, which to make precise ends up being like a double induction or something to so like melt down one direction and then copy that. So like sort of melt down a slope to the right and then copy that melting all the way down to the left. So you sort of tile in a strip and then you iteratively um, decrease the mountain with those strips. So um, so the diamond property makes confluence a breeze, but but that untyped lambda calculus doesn't have the diamond property because of this duplication of redexes that can happen. And the Taylor Martin Lift method is a really cool idea, which is like, well, okay, it doesn't the, the untyped lambda calculus doesn't have the diamond property, but let's find a little bit different relation that does have the diamond property. And he was like, okay, great, we prove a different relation. What's the good of that? Well, what, you, what, the, what you're looking for, and what the Tate-Martin-Lift method shows you how to find, is a relation that um, is in between, in a set-theoretic sense, so it's in between single-step and multi-step reduction. So in other words, it, as a set, you know, we, in set theory, we'd like, we think of relations as sets. Um, so the, the set that defines one-step reduction and the set that defines multi-step reduction, we're looking for an intermediate set, a relation that's as a set included, you know, in between there in the inclusion ordering. And uh, um, the benefit of that is that then, uh, well, that that's a key little ingredient in in being able to show that if I have the diamond property for such an intermediate relation, it will imply the diamond property for multi-step relation, multi-step reduction. And the diamond property for multi-step reduction, that's just another way of saying confluence. Take one step out using multi-step reduction. <laughs> you gotta be able to join back up in one step where your steps are now defined to be multi-steps, okay? So diamond property says you got some relation, one step out, one step back. If your relation is multi-step reduction, now we're, that's you've, you've managed to describe confluence as a, a diamond property for a different relation, the, namely the multi-step relation. Anyway, uh, so in, so basically you're looking in the Tate martin Luff method, you find this intermediate relation, intermediate between single and multi-step reduction that has the diamond property. And it turns out it's a form of parallel reduction. Like you can reduce redexes kind of in parallel uh, throughout your term. And that's what you need. So that means like the case I gave at the beginning where you're like, oh, okay, I've made three copies of redex too. Um, those three copies are at completely different positions. They have to be because the variable x that you replaced with, with this argument term, that variable x was at three completely non-overlapping positions that can't have messed up with each other at all. And so you can reduce those three separate redexes all in one parallel reduction step. And so that's how you can kind of, that's the sort of the hint of, of the idea of how you um, get the diamond property for this parallel uh, reduction relation. And that's the, the heart of the idea of the Tate Martin Lift proof of confluence. Okay, I'm at my destination. Um, we're living in funny times. I haven't mentioned anything about the pandemic on the podcast just because you might have been sick of hearing it from other sources. It does, it is affecting me here. I mean, we're going to teach, we have spring break coming up, and then the classes are going virtual, not in person, for two weeks at least after that. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a lockdown situation. I'm sure it's much worse in places. Um, with more international contact. But a university has a lot of international contact, so people are quite concerned here. And um, so I hope you're safe and healthy wherever you are. 
my podcast schedule, there's no real telling what's going to happen to it. Um, it might have some degree of disruption. So nevertheless, um, send me an email or something if you have an idea for what I should talk about next in chapter eight. Otherwise, I'll be scratching my head and hopefully have something interesting to talk about. Okay, thanks again for listening.